we all ask questions. Are eyebrows considered facial hair? If a number two pencil is so popular, why is it still number two? When cheese gets its picture taken, what does it say? I've always wondered, do vegetarians eat animal crackers? But some questions are more meaningful than others. The Bible seems confusing at times. How can I understand the Bible? Are we living in the end time? And if so, what does that mean to me? I've always wondered what people mean when they talk about spiritual warfare. How do I handle difficult people? Because I know some difficult people. So we turn to the one who has all the answers. We'll examine some of our biggest questions and discover God's best plan. Why? Because you asked for it. Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. My name is Brandon. I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here and uh, so glad that you're here. Today's message is simply this. The question is, how do I understand the Bible? How do I understand the Bible? How many would be honest enough to say, yeah, the Bible can be confusing at times? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm having some difficulty understanding what it's all about. I, I want to hopefully today, I got a lot of information, and, but I, I, I hope today that we can, I can talk about not only how to understand it, but can you trust the Bible? And then how does the Bible come alive in our lives? I, I simply titled this message, This Book is Alive. Can you say that with me? This book is alive. And, and I, I just, I, I pray that we'll have an understanding that the Bible that we hold it's like no other book, that it, that it has the power to change our lives, and, and, and we have access to it. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but there, watch this, delight is in the law of the Lord. And they meditate on it day and night. So God's showing us these characteristics of people that choose to make God's word uh, so, so, uh, so much a part of their life. Whenever it's their delight, it's their meditation. And watch what happens when you make God's word your meditation in your life. It says they are like trees planted along the riverbank. And what happens? They bear fruit in each season. Pretty cool. Their leaves never wither. And they prosper in all that they do. So when we make God's word our delight, when this, when this becomes who we are, man, there's so much blessing that God promises to us, but it, he shows us the opposite sides, but not so are the wicked, but they are like worthless chaff, so which is the antithesis to that planted tree. They're just kind of blown around. They're scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners have no place among the godly, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So this idea that when we build our life on the word of God, it has the power to change everything. It has the power to give us blessing and favor, and the adverse is true. When we kind of build our life our own way, then, then, it's, uh, then we're kind of left to our own devices. So, so let's get into it. What is the Bible? I want to just start really deep here today, simply this, that the word Bible means book. <laughs> we're starting, we're going really deep, everybody. The word Bible means book. It just simply means the word is biblos. It actually comes from uh, the name of a town in Greece uh, that was a paper producer. And so they said, this is, this is the book. But not just the book. They put Holy Bible in front of it. And the word holy simply means separated. In other words, this book is different than every other book. This book is so different. There's, 
things about this Bible that's like no other book that there's ever been or that there ever will be. It's the, it's, the most, it's the most selling book in history. It's the most translated book in history. It's the most read book in history. And I want to show you why the Bible is like no other book. Here's the first aspect that's in your notes. is It was written over a period of 1,600 years in over a dozen countries on three continents and in three languages. That, that If I could add one more, by 40 different writers. So I want you to just think about the immensity of the Bible. That, that's a huge span of time, 1,600 years. It would be like if the Bible is being written today, it's like 400 A.D. The first word is penned and we, we finish it today. I mean, it's a huge span of time. In, in, in dozen countries, three different continents, three languages, but, but there's no contradiction. That, that it's, it's written with such diversity, but there's no contradiction in it. That it, that it, it stands together. It, it's amazing to me because um, you would think if you're writing this religious book that, that you would just kind of have one writer. And they would kind of pin what they thought and, and it would kind of be a cohesive idea. And this is what most world religions do. You have like the Koran, for example, is one writer writing down just one person putting it down or the writings of Buddha or the writings of Confucius it's just one person writing it down but the Bible's different the Bible is a book like no other the Bible was written by poets prophets princes kings sailors soldiers attorneys doctors farmers scholars shepherds priests historians fishermen tax collectors and businessmen it was written on in caves in ships, in homes, in palaces, in prisons, and in deserts. That, that, it, that it was like a book like no other. It was written by a big, wide range of people in a wide range of places. And the question I have today is, how did they come up with the same story? How did this diverse group of people from thou, over a thousand year span, how did they come up with the same story? And here's what I want to show you today, is I believe there were about 40 writers, but there was only one author. That the author of the Bible was God. That, that there's only one author to the Bible. That's why the scripture says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. So in other words, it's not just human. It's God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's simply to say this, it's from God and it works it's from God and it works. It'll work in your marriage. It'll work in your money. It'll work in your business. It'll work in your emotional life. Like it works. This Bible, it works and it's a book like no other. I want to show you some other aspects of the Bible because there's such an onslaught against people talking about the Bible and how it's changed and you can't really trust it. All these different kind of things. I want to show you this aspect that the Bible is historically accurate. That is to say, this is not just a once upon, the time, uh, once upon a time story. I try to be very careful whenever I'm doing Bible stories with my uh, kids at night. I don't say once upon a time. I, I, I try not to craft that same, uh, the, the, the story from the Word of God in the same thing like they would see in a movie somewhere because I want them to know this is not like, this is something that actually happened. Like, like what archaeology has found is that every time, uh, has found essentially this, that the Bible has remained in archaeology and history and all these things have only unearthed the reality that God, God's Word is true. For some Something to be historically accurate, there's three aspects of it. There needs to, it needs to be eyewitness accounts, 
There needs, it needs to be recorded and copied with care. And it also needs to be his, archaeologically confirmed for something to be historically accurate. And the Bible passes with flying colors each and every one. Because the Bible was written by eyewitness accounts. That Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't just write about what they heard about Jesus. They wrote what they saw with their own eyes. So much of the scripture is an eyewitness account of who, of who God is and what happened. It wasn't just hearsay. It was written by the people that saw it. Secondly, it has to be recorded and copied with care. And I encourage you, study this on your own. I'm just kind of giving you a taste of these kind of things. This is called apologetics. And this is just a taste of why the Bible can be true, why the Bible um, Bible's true. A lot of people say, oh, it's been changed. And what you'll find as you study this yourself is that Jewish people are the most scrupulous people in all of history, especially when it comes to copying and recording the Bible. They would not just copy the Bible word for word. Jewish historians would copy the Bible letter for letter. Like they knew the middle letter in the whole Old Testament. They would go to that middle letter and then they would count backwards and forwards and if it did not match, if the wording was off, if the letter number was off, they literally would take it and burn it and throw it away because they took so much care of, of, the, of the word of God. They took it so seriously. And I believe God knew that they would and that's why he gave them the word of God so that what we have today historically has been confirmed that it's the same thing that was written thousands of years ago, which is an amazing fact. In the last hundred years, there was a discovery called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I know today is a lot of information but you asked for it, all right? So, so, uh, so my, nerd, my nerd, inner nerd came out this week. So there were, these, there were Dead Sea Scrolls that were these ancient um, manuscripts, ancient um, copies of the Word of God that were found just in the last hundred years. And what they found is that what we have today, they were the exact copies of what we have today. In other words, what we have today is exactly what they had thousands of years ago, that God's word is a book like no other, and it remains consistent throughout the ages. And also, archaeological digs that have, um, that have um, unearthed different artifacts and different people groups who have found never one time has it contradicted the word of God. As a matter of fact, it only shows that the word of God is true. It's, it is historically correct. Here's the second thing. It is scientifically accurate. The Bible is scientifically accurate. And, and I, this, this is a big one today. Uh, it seems like I see videos all the time, people trying to refute that. And it's amazing that for hundreds and hundreds of years, this has tried to happen. Great, great thinkers and minds have tried to say, you know what, uh, the Bible, it's outdated. Science is, you know, uh, that it's, it's not going to stand. Even Voltaire said in the 1700s that, you know, in 100 years, people won't even know about the Bible and Man, he was wrong, and the Bible was right, and it, 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 it stayed scientifically accurate. Guys, science books have changed, but the Bible remains the same. And, and the Bible hasn't, the Bible's not written as a science textbook. That's not the purpose of it. But, but I, I just want to say this, but the, the Bible, you can trust your Bible, because what's written in it is scientifically accurate, according to the Word of God. And, and the way that uh, I want to kind of communicate this is simply this, not by what just the Bible says, but I, what does the Bible not say about science? Because when you think about it, it. Uh, in the day that the Bible is written, there are all kinds of scientific thinking of the day, and the Bible does not represent any of that. <laughs> Could it be that it wasn't from people, but it was from, from God? Here's some of the things science said in, in the day that the earth was flat. People thought, oh, the earth is flat. Um, that, 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 that's what it is. That's what the scientific understanding was during the times where the Bible is being written. But it's amazing. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, God's word says this simply, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. 
So there was this, there was this understanding that they thought, oh, this is not what the science of the day said, but this is just what the truth was. This is just what God said. Um, people thought the earth had to be held up, like the earth had to be held up by something. The, the Greeks believed that it was held up by Atlas. Maybe you've seen that picture before, held up by Atlas. The Hindus get a hold of this. They believe that it was, the earth was on the back of an elephant, on a sea turtle, on a serpent that swam in the sea. Get you some of that, everybody. <laughs> the Egyptian people thought the earth stood on five pillars. And what I find so interesting is that Moses, which wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, never mentioned this one time, and he, was, he went to school in the Egyptian schools. But he doesn't mention it one time. Job chapter 26, which is the oldest chronological book in the Bible, watch what he says. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Man, God's word is true. It remains. People believed that the number of the stars could be counted in that day. Um, Hippocrates said this in 150 BC. There are 1,022 stars. I love this. Told him me 300 years later. He's like, uh, uh, uh. He's wrong. He missed four of them. There's 1,026. <laughs> Man, but if they would just ask Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, you know what? The stars of the sky cannot be counted. And I could go on and on and on about science of the body and of medicine and all these different things. But just suffice this. And I encourage you, if you're into this, study this yourself. There's a great book called New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Joshua McDowell. And it's a great introduction to this idea of studying that the Bible can be trusted. But just suffice to say this, is that guys, heaven and earth is going to pass away. But God's word will stand forever because it's true and it's right. Amen? Here's another way that it's accurate. It's prophetically accurate. It's prophetically accurate. And if man was writing the Bible, this is the dumbest thing they could have done. Because there's all these predictions about what's going to happen. And if they would have got all of these wrong, then people would have thought, oh, see there, it's not true. But God wrote the scripture. God, God moved upon the men that penned the scripture. And he put prophecies in the Bible to say, hey, here's what's going to happen. And there's over a thousand prophecies in the Bible. Most of them have been fulfilled. There's a few left to be fulfilled. We're going to talk about those in just a little bit. But, but, but there's 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ alone so that we would know who the Messiah would be. Um, the closest prophecy to the birth of Christ was 400 years before he was born. Think about that. It wasn't like it was a month before he was born. Someone's like, oh, I think he's going to be this. No, 400 years before he was born, people were prophesying about Jesus. David wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus before crucifixion even existed. He, he told in detail about how the death that Jesus, the Messiah, would die before it even happened. And uh, scientists got together and said, hey, let's figure out the probability of one man fulfilling all of these prophecies concerning Jesus. And here's the probability they came up with. One person fulfilling eight prophecies, just eight prophecies of Jesus, would be 10 in 10 to the 17th power, which is a small number, as you can see right there. This number would be represented if you took the state of Texas and you filled it with silver dollars two feet deep. The entire state of Texas. And in the middle of those silver dollars, you put one red silver dollar and you 
blindfolded a guy and took him in a helicopter over the state of Texas. And you said, hey, man, let us know when you want to get out. And he just jumps out just randomly and just with that blindfold on reaches down into that, those silver dollars and picks up that one red silver dollar. That would be the chances of one man living on the earth fulfilling just eight of the prophecies of Jesus. One person fulfilling 16 of the prophecies would be one in 10 to the 45th power. One person fulfilling 48 of the prophecies would be one in 10 to the 157th power. All that to say simply this is that prophecy is a powerful indicator that the word of God is something that we can trust. The word of God is something that we can found our life upon. I, I want to kind of switch gears now, and I want to talk about how to understand the Bible. This is the question that you had. So how to trust the Bible, how to understand the Bible. There's a few, few things, and maybe you're, you're new to uh, studying the Bible, or maybe you, maybe you grew up in church. I grew up in church, and I'll be honest, there's so much of the scripture I didn't even begin to understand until recent years. Because here's some, here's some truth. It's not in your notes, but, but the Bible's not written in chronological order. Uh, that, was, that was a huge kind of revelation for me. I just thought it kind of started in Genesis, ended in Revelation. But, but, but what you'll find, the Bible, the books of the Bible are not uh, grouped as, as in chronology. They're grouped in theme. They're grouped in type of book specifically. And uh, so, so here's some of the groupings of the books in the Old Testament. You have, first of all, the law. These are the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And this is called the law because in Deuteronomy, uh, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, the, the law was given to the people of God that, that, that Moses led out of Egypt. And this is the way that they were to live, the Ten Commandments on the big table, tablets of stone. And this is the first five books from creation to the law being given. And then the next part of the scripture is the next 12 books. And this is Joshua. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Joshua through the book of Esther. And if you were reading the, the, the Bible uh, chronologically, then the Old Testament would end here. Because uh, the, 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 books, the, the, books of, the book of Esther, the book of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, really the end of the Old Testament historically. And, and it, man, if you love history, if you love action movies, if you love that kind of stuff, man, read these books of the Bible because they're full of action. And they're all about what happened in the people of God and, and, and really... Chronologically, it ends there, but then you have another section of book called the poetical section. The next five books, this is Job through the Song of Solomon. And if you were reading the book in a chronological order, man, a bunch of these songs and things would be inserted into the historical parts. For example, when David was a king, he wrote tons of songs. And many of the songs that he wrote were in seasons that, were, were in seasons that are described in the Bible. So if you're reading a chronological study Bible, which you can put, pick up at uh, any Bible bookstore, if you're reading those, well, you'll find all those different things are kind of stuffed in there. And that was, was kind of eye-opening to me. And then the next part, you have the prophetical books. And these are 17 books. You have five major prophets and 12 minor prophets, and they're not minor because they're like minor league baseball. No, they're minor just because they're smaller, and some of the, some of the writings are like a page or two pages long. And again, all of these books, Isaiah through Daniel and Hosea through Malachi, they would be inserted into the his, history parts of the Old Testament as well. So uh, that, that, that really helped me whenever I started understanding, man, the Bible's not just a, it feels random. Well, it's not random. It's just you got to understand how it's grouped and understand uh, where these different things fit into the grand scheme. It's one story. So, so, so we fast forward to the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the first four books. We call them the Gospels. And these are not, again, in chronological order. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are actually four accounts of the same story. 
It's like four reporters telling about the same story, the same eyewitness account that they saw. And what's amazing, they all tell the same story. They each kind of write to a different type of writer, though. And this is the story of the good news. That's what gospel means. It just means good news. This is the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. So I like to tell people this. If you're new to the Bible, new to reading the Bible, this is a great place to start. This is a great place to start, uh, just studying, reading about Jesus, reading about your Lord and Savior. And after the Gospels, the church was established, and we have this book called the Book of Acts. And the Book of Acts is a historical record of the first church. So it's like the history section in the Old Testament. And what it is, it's just a story of how people made a difference and miracles, signs, and wonders. There's this incredible early church and how they expanded and made a difference. We love this book here at City Hills because we're trying to base our whole church after this book. We want to be like the Book of Acts church. And, um, and what you'll find is the Book of Acts doesn't really end. And Acts chapter 28 just kind of ends like abruptly. There's no every other book of the Bible in the New Testament ends with an amen, except for the Book of Acts. It just kind of like, oh, okay, I guess it's over. But I believe it's that way because Acts was never meant to be over. That that early church is the same church that we are here today. And uh, full of life and power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our world. And while the church was making a difference, there were all these churches that were established all over the world. And they needed some help. Sometimes they needed a little explaining to do, you know, some some help, some explaining. And uh, so there were these letters are called epistles. They, uh, They were penned to help correct and instruct. And this is where we get so much doctrine and teaching about life and teaching about God from the letters from church leaders that were written to churches in the Bible. And then lastly, you have the book of Revelation, which is a prophecy of the end time that I believe we're living in today. So, so that's how the Old Testament and New Testament work together. I told you I had a lot of information for you today. This next part's not in your notes, but I want to give you an overview of the Bible. I just call it the mirror image, and this is hopefully just a big overview of what the Bible is all about, and I'll get this in a graphic form out to you on Facebook this week. But, but here's, here's how it starts. In Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1, before we get there, the subject of the whole Bible is simply this Jesus. That's a simple way. If you're studying, if you're looking in, the subject of the whole Bible is Jesus. So as you look at this, understand that this is all about him. In Genesis chapter 1, you have God and righteous man in paradise. Simply to say this, man, man was perfect. Man, God, God put man in a perfect place, this perfect garden, and, it's with, and he was with God in paradise. This is God's dream. This is God's ideal. He wants us to live this life full of joy, full of enjoyment, enjoying our life with him in paradise. But, the prob- but something happened in Genesis chapter 3. Satan and sin enter the picture. And when Satan and sin enter, sin separates man from God. And man is, is, cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. So he's separated from God. And maybe... You, you know what I'm talking about today. Maybe you feel some separation in your life because of sin, because Satan and sin have, have, have entered into our world today. And whenever sin enters our world, chaos ensues. And uh, people got to the point where they're like, oh, we don't need God. We kind of do things our own way. And they just started living however they wanted to live. And God said, you know, I'm going to just do this all over again. And the world was judged and destroyed. And this is the story of Noah in the Old Testament. This is the story of Noah where God found a righteous person, Noah, and his family, and he saved them, and he started essentially the human race over with them. 
But that didn't work either because after the people came back together and repopulated the earth, all these people said, well, we still really don't need God. We can kind of do this all ourselves. We're going to figure out how to be God, and we're going to build this tower to heaven, and we're all going to come together. And they formed this one-world government system, and they said, you know what? We're going to build a tower to God, and we're going to become God. And that's what they did. They, they started building this massive tower to God, and God judged them. And he, and he divided their languages, and there were all these different nations. And, 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 and it was like, well, what's, what's going to happen now? So in the book of Genesis chapter 12, God finds a man named Abraham, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hand on Abraham, and I'm going to use Abraham to show the world my laws and who I am. And, and, and he chooses the 12 tribes of Israel and makes them God's holy people. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them this approach to God. He teaches them about how to live. But the problem was people couldn't do it. They, they were still in this external reality trying to get back to this place of paradise. And if you're reading the Old Testament and New Testament, this may be helpful to you. You can understand the Old Testament is about the external, whereas the New Testament is about the internal. So the Old Testament is about this external reality of how, how, how we try to get to God kind of our, on our own purpose. And this was so needed because it showed humanity that we can't do it on our own. It showed humanity that we are broken without God. Like we can try to figure it out. We can try to get it all together. But you know what? We need help. And right there at that time where we realized we couldn't do it on our own, God sends the greatest gift and it's Jesus. Right here in the middle, at the top, that's why I put him in the middle because this whole story is about Jesus. It's about Jesus getting us back to a place where we can be with God in paradise with him. So what, what happens? God says, you know what? You can try to, you've been trying to pay for your sin all on your own. And what I like to say is that hell's not a place where God sends people that he's mad at. Hell's a place where you can go and pay for your sin if you want to by yourself. But Jesus came to show us you don't have to pay for your own sin, but he came to be the substitute for our sin and to show us that no longer will the law just be external, but the law will be on our hearts. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can no longer just have 12 tablets of stone, but now the law of God is, not, is a love for God, and he founds this, the 12 disciples, the church, God's holy people. No longer just about the external, but now about this internal relationship with God. These people that are in love with God. And guys, this is where we are right now in the story of God. I want you to know you're part of this story. Like you're part of, this, of the grand story of God. And we are the church, the called out ones that God has chosen so that we would show the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But not everybody will um, agree. Not everybody will understand. Not everybody will follow. So prophecy shows us, and it's, it's, it's so apparent when you just turn on the news today, that, that the whole world is lining back up again to this one world government system. You can't check out the news today without seeing all of the things that are coming in place. Read the book of Revelation. Read the book of Daniel. Maybe we'll be able to talk about that on a Sunday before too long. But the reality is that we're living in a day that's going back to this idea that we 
don't need God. We're smart enough. We've kind of figured it out, and we're going to do this all on our own, just like they did in the Tower of Babel. And this is where you see in the, in the book of Revelation, there's an antichrist that tries to rule and reign and essentially lead the people in this one world government system to say we don't need God. And because of that, the world again will be judged and destroyed. No longer by water, but this time by fire. But in, in that destruction, there'll be a church that has the law written on their hearts and a love for God that God takes out of that world that's, that's about to be destroyed. And whenever he takes that church out, Satan and sin have to exit as well. And no longer will they have any, no longer will Satan have any reign. No longer will sin have any reign over the church, over our lives. And whenever that happens, that God and redeemed man will live in paradise with God. I want you to just get a picture of, of what, what's happening happening in your scripture or what's what's happening in the bible that we're part of this and it's all a love story about god taking us to a place where he where he wanted us to be in the beginning but we made a mistake and a chasm was created and only by the cross of jesus christ can we be at a place of peace with him guys we can't even fathom what heaven's going to be like wish i could do a whole message today just about heaven because we call heaven the afterlife And I think we should rephrase that and call this the before life because that's really what life's all about. Like that's that's really where that's that's really where life. I think when when we see the grand scheme of eternity, we say, Oh, that was a great before life. (laughs) This is life. Because this is what God intended and had for us. That's why, speaking of the word of God, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. Sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I want to just draw your attention to the first line. It simply says, for the word of God is alive. And I've given you a lot of information today. And, uh, but, 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 but know this, no information is going to change your life. Like no information. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that, it, that knowledge will puff you up. There's a lot of Christians that, feel, that, that think because they can quote a Bible verse or something like that that they're, that they're, that they're better than other people and they're, they're, they think that they got it all together. And that's not the purpose at all because the other part of that verse says, but the Spirit gives life. So, so I want to I, I show you today how the Word of God can be alive in your life because we can talk about all the um, you know, apologetics and all the reality of that, but that's not going to change your life. And, and, and if I could say this too, don't, don't leave church today and try to fight somebody at work on Tuesday with how you, the Bible's right and, oh, my preacher preached, and I'm giving them a podcast and like give them a letter and, you know, put it on CD for them and tell them that, don't do that. Because what I've learned, people, pe- pe- you can't win arguments and win souls at the same time. You, you, you're going to reach, we're going to reach our family and friends because we love them, not because we're, we think we're right and they're wrong. We, we love people. So, so take this to your heart. I'm, we're doing this message because you asked for it. Um, but, but understand this, man. God wants to do a work inside of us, inside of our lives where the Bible's alive. Because so much of my life, the Bible was dead to me. Like, I'd read it to go to sleep. It wasn't something that was alive until God began to do a work in my life. And I just want to share a simple principle with you, super practical, of what I do on a daily basis that really makes the Bible come alive in my life. And it goes back to the first verse that we looked at today, Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. Speaking of those who are blessed, it says, They delight 
in the law of the Lord. And they meditate on it day and night. So I want to just show you and challenge you to simply say this, that, that this Bible knowledge and getting the Bible is not about saying, okay, okay, Brandon, I'm going to read, like the, I'm going to read the whole New Testament today. Like that's what I'm going to do. Uh, no, 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 no. This, my prayer is that this will become a delight instead of a duty where you'll have an experience with God where this is something you want to do every day. So, so how does that happen? Because so much of my life reading the Bible was, was hard. And it was, for me, like a checklist. I read a, a system called the One Year Bible. And uh, you can, it's, it's on cityhills.com. It's on our website if you want to follow along every day. It has Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm and Proverbs, and a devotional. But, but that's, that's what I do. It's not what you have to do. You've got to find what works for you with a daily practice where you can start delighting and meditating on God's Word. And here's what was shared with me. It's a simple acronym called SOAP. And, uh, and, and so, so, so you need some soap in your life, <laughs> not just the kind to wash your, you need that too, but here's some different soap. And so when you're reading the Bible every day, and here's how the Bible comes alive in my life. Whenever, before I read the Bible, and I'll give you a couple caveats as well with this is, man, read a translation that you understand. God's not trying to be confusing. What I found a lot of times I didn't understand the Bible simply because I was reading a translation that I grew up with that literally I didn't understand. It was very poetic, but it made no sense to me. And I, people always ask me, what's, what translation of the Bible shall I read? What's the best translation? I always say, the best translation is the, is the translation that you read. <laughs> so there's some that they prefer a more uh, formal translation. It's like a word-for-word translation. Uh, there's some that prefer a more um, functional translation that's like a thought-for-thought. Thought. That's me personally. I enjoy that if I'm going to read the Bible. I don't want to have 20 dictionaries out. I just want to be able to read what God's Word says and connect with it. And so uh, I, I read um, in most of your notes. That's why a lot of times there's a, if I'm studying, it's more of the formal. If I'm studying, it's usually um, something that's more formal. If I'm just reading, it's something that's more functional, like the New Living or the New International Version or the, mes- the message is a paraphrase. But, man, it brings so much joy uh, to me because it kind of brings some new light um, so many times, so it's not necessarily a, a Bible you're going to pull doctrine from, but it's, it's something where it's going to make the, make the word come alive in your life a little bit. But, but here's what I do. Before I pray uh, and, and get into my Bible reading, every, before I get into my Bible reading, I just simply pray, Lord, I'm not coming to check off a box today. I just want you to speak to me. And sometimes I'll read one verse, and that's all I'll read for the day. Sometimes I'll read the whole thing, and the whole plan. But I'm reading not to just read. I'm reading to hear from God. And so here's what I do. S stands for scripture. Whenever I'm reading, one scripture will speak to me. One scripture, it's like it's highlighted in the Bible. It like jumps off the page. And what I do, and I I just, I write in my Bible. And I literally, I'll take that and I'll take the time to write that out. And that's my word for the day. I write out that scripture word for word. Because I want, I want God to speak to me. What would your life look like if every week you got a word from God, a personal word from God? How would that change if 52 times a year you got a word from God? What would that change if every few days you got a word from God? Or every day you got a word from God? Write that scripture and you'll be amazed how much that will be the word that you need for that day. It's amazing how God speaks to us through his word. And then I write a simple observation. That's what O stands for, an observation. 
Just simple. I'm not writing a dissertation. No one's reading this. It's not for extra credit. No one's ever going to see it. It's just something where I want God's word. I want it to be something that I'm internalizing. I observe that this is what the scripture says. And I just write a simple observation. Maybe my scripture for the day is um, Jesus wept. (laughs) My observation may be, God, you care about people. Your heart loves people. And then I write after that, I write an application. God, you love me. You want me to love other people too. And then I write a simple prayer. Lord, thank you that you care about people like me. Give me strength to care about the people that I come in contact with today. And then I just title my day. I put a little title to it. And, and I make my whole day about that one word that I got from God. And sometimes it's just, like I said, just one verse that I read. Sometimes I'm reading the whole thing and I'm like, okay, God, you're going to just show me. I didn't get anything out of that. And I, read, and I read and I realize, okay, I need to quiet down because God has something to speak for me today from his word. But guys, this is, this is just wanting to answer your question not just how to understand the Bible. How does it come alive in your life? And here's the last truth I want to give you. is saying everything changes when you meet the author. Because this understanding the Bible, all of that, the whole purpose is so you would meet the author. The whole purpose is that so you would come in contact with him and be changed. And that's, that's, that's really the purpose. That's really what it's all about. When, uh, when we found out that we were having a son, well, actually, I didn't even know if it was a boy or a girl. We found out we were having a child uh, not too many years ago. It was, it was funny. I went out and bought a journal. And uh, I started writing in that journal. And entry one looks like, looked something like this. Hello. <laughs> I'm your dad. <laughs> I don't know if you're a boy or a girl yet. <laughs> and, I, and I wrote this entry uh, to this child that I didn't know what it was yet. I didn't know what the name was yet. I didn't know anything. But just, I wanted to, t- and someday I'll give that to him. But I, I, I wrote that, and my wife and I, we would take time and write those entries out, hoping that someday that he will know how much we love him and how much we care for him. And I can't help but think, every time I think about the Bible, I think about that simple journal that sits in my drawer in my bedroom that's a letter to my son that I love not because I'm trying to give him some kind of a hard oh you don't need to do this and you don't no 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 but but it's so that I can give him know that hey I love you and I got a good plan for your life and and, I mean, God's going to do great things through you, and you got a calling, and God's going to do something mighty through your life. And I, I just think our, our Father in heaven saying, I, I want to talk to you every day. I want to give you a word if you'll just speak to me and spend time in my presence because I love you and care about you so much. I want to pray for you today before we leave this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you love us. Lord, my prayer today is that people will get more than just knowledge about the Bible. God, my prayer today is that they'd meet you, Jesus. That they'd meet the author. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, you are the word. 
And we thank you, Lord, that we have access to you. And we pray that you would help us to be people of the word. God, not, 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 not just swayed by our culture, but people that know in what we believe and that we trust you. And we're going to follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.